Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. Today, I am joined by Beth Burns. Beth, a Chicago native, moved to Portland, Oregon in 1997 for its vast beauty. She worked at Sisters of the Road Cafe before serving as the director of the Greenhouse Learning Center, a GED-based alternative school. In 2002, she and her two colleagues founded PEAR, a program for homeless youth. She serves as a co-founder and executive director of PEAR and is incredibly grateful to spend her days working with these vibrant, strong, and creative young people. After all these years, she still walks into PEAR each day with wonder and hope. Beth, her husband, her 10-year-old son, and her 8-year-old daughter spend their time exploring the Pacific Northwest, seeking adventure in nature. Additionally, I'll be donating to and raising awareness for the charity or organization of my guest choice with each and every episode. This episode, by no surprise, we are raising awareness for the organization called PEAR, which is where Beth works and what she co-founded. When you listen to this conversation, you'll it'll be very evident that Beth is doing really marvelous work with the homeless youth. And I implore you to please join me in donating. The link is in the show notes. And this conversation starts by focusing on Beth and her journey and what brought her to Portland, Oregon. And we talk a lot, of course, about PEAR. What does PEAR stand for? PEAR is Project Education, Arts, and Recreation. So we talk about each leg and why that's so important in creating a foundation that the homeless youth probably otherwise aren't getting. And we talk a lot about the stories and cultural narratives that we have in our culture about homelessness. And as I said in Beth's bio, these are not whatever narrative we might have about homeless people, lazy, dangerous people that we need to avoid. These are vibrant, strong, and creative young people. And a lot of times it's the infrastructure that has failed someone who is experiencing homelessness. It is not, of course, some sort of character flaw of someone who was born into a really flawed and broken system. So we spend a lot of time unpacking that, this is what makes Beth such a strong candidate to run an organization like this, is that she has a foundational understanding of the way that the systems are all pretty broken and flawed, and has created an organization that provides a safety net for what the system is otherwise not providing. I really admire Beth and the work that she's doing, and it was such a privilege to have her on my show. With all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy what Beth has for us. Hi, Beth. Welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this conversation goes. And I appreciate that you jumped into this conversation without really a whole lot of preparation, not knowing what you're signing yourself up for. But 
I, I typically start my interviews. I, I love to know what you were like as a child and what moves you. And I always start by asking, what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? So I grew up the daughter of a Chicago cop and a Chicago public school teacher. They, my parents, I had two siblings. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And both of my parents and my siblings are incredibly funny and uh, have really big, boisterous personalities. They all liked like, you know, just like in, fart jokes and burping <laughs> jokes. And like, they just, they were really loud. And I actually was super reserved. I'm like kind of the physically the runt of the family. I'm much smaller than them and was, it was way more serious than they are. And so when I wanted to like explore the latest character in the novel I was reading at 10, they wanted to like hoot and holler and like make fun of each other and laugh. And, and one thing that I think I appreciate and have tried to instill now in my own family at my own dinner table with my kids is just this ability to like see your life ability for one to like laugh at yourself. I think that was the, one of the greatest gifts that my mom particularly has given me to just like to be able to like laugh and forgive myself and sort of think find the world to be a, a place of exploration and mistake making and mm. you know to take risks and just be sort of okay with who I am like find a way to be comfortable with who I am even to this day they're they're still all back in Chicago and whenever I go home it is still like I I just don't laugh like that and for anybody listening I apologize I just don't find the west coast to be very funny <laughs> so, I just don't they are not funny people and so it's like such a good dose of like deep crying belly laughing that that I think I miss and crave and want to instill in my own family now here and bring some bring some more uh, robust family dinners to the west coast so yeah Note to self, stop taking life so damn seriously and yeah. stop taking yeah. myself so damn seriously. <laughs> yeah, my mom was to this day, she still is so good at that. It's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And and we'll get into the work you do, but I, I can imagine given what you do, it can be very easy to take life very seriously. But uh, before that, the I guess the first part of the question was... What were you like as a as a child, which you started to talk a little bit about? But yeah, could you talk a little bit more about what you were like and the type of person that you aspired to be and all that fun stuff? Sure. I was, like I said, I was pretty serious, pretty sensitive. But that was like the more internal kind of quiet, less public part of myself. I think if you like saw me, my friends sort of saw me as like a social butterfly. And I was involved in, you know, everything from student council, I played a bunch of sports, I was like, pretty, I seemed pretty extroverted. But there was a part of me and there still is that is like, wants to be sort of like reflective and needs a lot of time alone. I have never been a human, I've never been somebody who's bored. And I have created a work life that is everything but boring. And so I think that I don't know if I was just to describe myself briefly, yeah, I would be kind of serious, sort of inquisitive. I loved to read and I loved connecting with like the human part of people. Like I loved exploring like people's humanity and struggle and dignity and 
it's just not surprising that I've ended up here in many ways. I'm so curious about people's stories and who they are and who they want to become. And I think that started pretty young. I was a, yeah, I liked to, I was an observer for sure. And, and I think also like I don't, not quite sure how, but I developed a pretty strong sense of like justice pretty young and mm. really felt like, I really felt like, it always was so sad to me that people were living lives where they just couldn't be free, like where they were completely mm. held back by systemic and structural oppression. Of course, I didn't have words for that when I was little, but I just sort of wanted people to not be struggling in their poverty or struggling in because of choices we've made as a society. And uh, yeah, I think there was a deep sense very young that I just, I wanted justice. I wanted people to live happy lives, including myself. Mm -hmm. How did how did that manifest for you? Because I I'm really in touch with the little boy in me who was like that as well, and I vividly remember specifically there there were certain times where if I was walking on the streets of say Manhattan, if we passed uh, a gentleman or a woman who was homeless, I wanted to stop and and either talk to them or give them money, and uh, there were all sorts of ways in which I was told you know. They have they have shelters to go to. It's not our responsibility, blah blah blah. And yeah, it's something that I've been coming more back to in, in my current age and as I've become my own adult. Is that I want to honor the little boy in me who really saw all of those injustices and and wants everyone to have a life where they can thrive, including me too, like you said. But I, I'm curious if yeah, how did it show up for you when you were younger? That like how were you in touch with that? I think, unfortunately, it the way in which, you know, I, I my parents both worked in neighborhoods that suffered from a lot of oppression and experienced a lot of injustice and uh, in mostly in the south side of Chicago. And I think, you know, my dad had this real sort of like criminal justice lens that had its own problematic views. And my mom had a was a white teacher and mostly um, in mostly black communities and had a little, she was a brilliant teacher, but also sort of approached it a little bit in a little, I don't even want to say like in white saviorhood, but maybe, I mean, maybe just sort of like, I'm going to affect change and for people who are different than me or not like me. And I think that like I, that sort of wanting to be a champion and wanting to be like a change maker has evolved. Like I don't actually believe that I can help change people's lives. I believe that I can use my positionality of privilege to create opportunities for people to explore their worlds and themselves and ideas. I, too, I can, you know, I can help kick down some doors. I can help, you know, push back against the systemic weights and barriers that are that are keeping people in states of um in states of oppression but I, I can't save people and i think that's what's evolved so i think back then i thought well i'm going to be a champ i'm going to be the hero here like i'm going to help these people a little bit and so but it was you know and my, my mom had us always doing stuff like you know bringing christmas presents to homeless shelters and like other sort of like things like that but it was you know that was maybe just providing kind of experiences for me to form my own views, which, you know, obviously have evolved and changed since I was a, a young person. 
but I think I was always, I, so really, I mean, all I wanted to do at the time was teach. And I had this like really great, all I, I mean, I went to college, never questioning what I was going to do with that. Like, I just wanted to be a teacher. And because I thought if people had access to like knowledge and places to like be inquisitive about themselves in their world, that they could like pull themselves up by their bootstraps and like make a charge in their world. And my first year teaching ninth grade high school English, I had 52 kids in my first period class that started at 720 in the morning. And I had like 40 desks. And I asked one of the teachers was like, so how, where are they all going to sit? They're like, oh, they're not all going to come. These kids mm. aren't going to show up. Like that, this isn't, you know, whatever. It was already sort of, already they were sort of written off as, and I just didn't see a way to connect and work with people in ways that felt meaningful to me in a system that was so burdened and set up already almost in a way to fail people. And so I walked away from that. And, but I think that's what I always thought I would do. I always thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to attack this by teaching people about it, mm -hmm. teaching people about, about injustice, teaching people about social change, teaching people about their worlds, about, you know, letting people have all this like, grand intellectual opportunity to explore um, which I think is beautiful. And I don't think it's the only Mm -hmm. How long were you a teacher before you realized that wasn't the avenue, that, that wasn't the way you wanted to share your medicine, if you will, that you, you thought there was a better way or a different way that you could show up to support what mattered to you? Well, my first shift was to, to think, well, I, I'll go into alternative schools like where they we work like where there's more room to sort of like connect with people and more room to talk about like people's lives, right? And um so that was kind of my first shift. So when I left Chicago, moved out here, I'd gone to school up in the Twin Cities, made it by my way back to Chicago, then made my way out here to Portland. And I started to look around for opportunities to teach in alternative schools. And I saw a job listing through a long story that was for, I'll never forget, it was for 19 hours a week for $7.19 an hour to teach at an alternative school for young people experiencing homelessness and or really grave housing instability and to help them get their GEDs. So I ended up taking that, getting that job and became sort of like the, I don't know, I don't think my title was director, but kind of like the operator of the school with a woman named Joy. And then we hired a woman named Pippa. And um, it was from there that we ended up starting care. So not long. I didn't teach for long. I substitute taught for a couple of years while I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do and then worked at the this learning center for several years and um, and then landed here. Awesome. Well, I would love to spend most of the rest of the conversation talking about what you do at Pair. And I guess you could start by uh, maybe at a high level, what does pair, if you break down the letters, what does pair mean? What does it stand for? And yeah. we, we can go from there. Sure. So pair is an acronym. It stands for project, education, art, and recreation. And yeah, you know, the little, it's a little esoteric, but, but we, so the three of us, Joy, Pippa, and myself, we co-founded pair together when we were working at the alternative school, our job was, like I said, to help people get their GEDs. But 
so many kids were coming in who either had their GED, were never anytime soon going to get their GED, or were like slowly plugging along at it. And the test is like really monotonous. And it's like, it can be incredibly painstaking to get through it. And, and so the kids, but they would keep coming back. And I just, it, it was clear to us that kids sort of like young people loved that kind of structure of what school, when I say that in quotes, could kind of provide, right? So we were like, oh man, we should do something else. So we started to bring in the arts. And I think our first project was we Xerox copied pictures of our faces and then wallpapered the bathroom. <laughs> it was not looked favorably upon our employee, from an employer at the time. And, but we didn't have a lot of resources and we would throw these like little keg parties in my backyard and raise money, money to like have paints and construction paper and shit. So we, so we started this like little nascent art program that just took off. I mean, kids just started like coming into the space, just really looking for for that outlet. So back to the name real quickly. So we through a very long story, the program we worked for closed after after several decades and we decided we had already talked about starting our own thing, but we decided that we would launch pair and we needed a name. We thought a lot about like what like what did we see that was like, that we really loved, like how did we really love working with young people? We knew we loved working with them through their intellects, right? So through ed education sort of is synonymous for us with like just learning, what kind of opportunities we present to like get us to like be inspired and curious to learn. We knew that young people loved the arts for so many reasons, not only just a form of self-expression, but also as like a form of beauty and healing and, and, their, and getting their voice out into the world. And then we were, there was a rec program that my friend Rodney was running um, that was part of the larger program attached to the school. And so we, we wanted to take that on and we wanted really, we wanted young people to be able to, like some of us learn and love to experience the world through our bodies. I'm one of those people. Like mm -hmm. I, I would love for you to go through my search engine and find all of these like just like wow kind of searches of like intellectual pursuit and curiosity. And really you're just gonna find like what's the best new mountain bike? You know, and <laughs> what 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 skis are great for powder. I mean it's just it's embarrassing, but it's really true. And I've accepted that's just who I am. <laughs> but and so so education is sort of like the E is about just like developing, letting people explore their lives through their intellects. The A is like helping people explore their lives through their emotional lives. And then the R being their physical bodies. So that's how we came up with pair. It also is kind of like one of the, one, one of the first things you learn to paint when you learn still life painting, like you always see these bowl of pears. In, hmm. uh, and then it just happenstance happened to be the symbol for alternative education in the state of Oregon. Instead of an apple, it was a pear. So I mean, it ended up taking on a couple other meanings to us, but really it was about the intellect, the emotions and the body. So mind, body, spirit sort of thinking um, yeah. that, you know, young, there were, there are several very like large, wonderful programs in town addressing the external needs of homeless youth, right? Like they're really getting at housing and case management and healthcare. And, and we, like, we, saw a need and room to have a program that says like, yeah, of course, ending your homelessness and addressing your poverty and, and your health and your mental well-being and all of that is like really important. But also like, you're just a young, vibrant human who deserves to like mm -hmm. grow up in a way that like gives like, like in, where there's opportunities for you to explore your world, explore who you are, um, uh, where you can like, 
where your world can be filled with beauty and meaning. And so that's what it's a, that's sort of where we evolved from. Beautiful. There are a lot of things that I want to unpack about what you do because it's so multifaceted and I love the, the, yeah, the way that you bring so many different forms of healing into, into the work that you do. And it sounds like into your own life. And I think maybe the first thing that I have been really drawn to the, the example, when you said there were 52 students in one of your English classes and there were only 40 seats and there, there was a, they're not going to show up. This is just the way it is energy. I'm wondering how important it is to you in, in your, in your view of the world, in your work as, I don't know, is it a core tenet of pair that we, we set the bar really high for every single human that walks in? There's, it becomes this kind of, it seems like there could be a self-fulfilling prophecy where if we say they're not going to show up anyway, then that is inevitably what happens. Is there some sort of belief system you have at pair that honors like you're, you're probably going to thrive in this environment or, or something to that effect? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, I, you know, Pear emerged as a place for young people to learn and explore and create and to like truly be seen while navigating through the complexities and the trauma of their homelessness. And that looks different for every young person. They're in really different places when they come through the door. They have really different and diverse needs. But fundamentally, it was created because we believe that each kid who comes through our door is a deeply valuable human being that deserves to live a vibrant life that's like i said that's filled with beauty and joy and hope and 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 true meaning and that they can explore their worlds while connecting into people and places and ideas and so it's i think it's fundamentally that 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 we truly believe that young people have deserve an opportunity young people experiencing homelessness deserve an opportunity to to grow and to change and to heal. And that looks really different for every kid. So some youth might come in and really all they need for the day, like the best they can do for the day is have a cup of coffee and a meal. We have a very vibrant and beautiful food program. And, and you know, all the way up to a young person coming in, accessing our programs, because they're, they're really curious about our job training programs and want to pursue employment. And other folks come in because they're housed and, and employed and pair is their community and they just want deep connection and they want someone to see them and they want to, you know, they want to just be part of something. And I don't know if that answers your question, but it's yeah. sort of, yes. And all of, all of that, right. It's like, you know, homelessness is, homelessness forces you to just all day long have to make impossible choices. It destroys your self-worth. It overwhelms your resources to cope. It dismantles your perception of control and your capacity to self-regulate while also impairing pretty deeply your cognitive and emotional functioning. We wanted to create a place where when you came in, you could, instead of being in that, centered in that space of survival that you had, that, that pair was set up in a way that, that you could kind of drop some of that and really have time to think about who you are as a human being, not who you are in your homelessness. Mm. You know, it's not that we're always successful. I mean, that's the dream, right? Like we mm. all have, you know, good days and bad days around this place, but yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, again, there's a, there's a lot of curiosities, but the, even if you, whatever population you look at it as, if you look at any individual or collective part of humanity, there's so many different skills. Like you've named education, arts, there's like play and recreation. There's also like trauma has, has come up at maybe a couple of points in the conversation. I'm wondering if this was, was it intentionally, were they skills that were intentionally built in preparation for creating pair or was this maybe more on, you know, as, as it's, it's about 21 years old now, I, I believe my math is correct. And was it like, okay, well, we identified here's maybe a gap of, of what we, if we want to be a, the best provider possible, we need to understand trauma. We need to understand the wounding. We need to understand systems. I guess the, the heart of the question is how, how have you developed such a broad skill set to understand all the different elements that create who we are? Huh. Uh, I don't think I have. I think that that's an ever evolving journey for sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's more. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess I see what you're asking. I mean, I think, I think it's not enough for us just to say, okay, in this space, you're going to have this, like, I mean, you come into pairing, like the design itself is really trauma informed. It is beautiful in here. It is bright and it's full of light. And it was designed and built by highly recognized artisans in town. It is both, you know, from the architects to the builders, like it is not some nonprofit put together low budget project it's like st it's stunning in here it's an old 1920s building on a corner the trees outside it's it's very um we've got a you know a patio up on the roof and it's just a really beautiful sort of spicy so energetically when you come in like it's already i think what we tr we're trying to do and continue to try to do is is not is like really push the boundaries on what like social service can look mm -hmm. like and so just by like the design itself comes in and immediately says like that this is like a welcoming kind of warm place, right? It's also kind of, you know, it's paint everywhere and it's sort of, it's got its own flair for sure. And, and so when we look at like, I guess, I guess what your question is, is like, how are we both addressing like individual personal needs while also really understanding the systems that are creating the problem? Is that sort of what you're asking? You you already started actually answering it in a way that was more interesting to me than my Wait. question. I don't know. I kind of just threw a bunch of things at you and and hoped that it would land on a question. But I I'm appreciating the way that you're describing. You know, what's the environment that you're creating such that someone can come in and and feel like the the natural energy of yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do just fine here. Totally. So I think there's two things at play. Like one is is I think that like I we truly believe that like belonging is sort of what creates us. Like we simply can't thrive as human beings unless we are in community. And I really believe that. So more than anything, like we are just a large community center alternative school hybrid of some sort, right? We still have school hours, we're still open nine to two. Like we still mm -hmm. we sort of kept that for all 21 years. Um you know, I mean, everybody wants to be seen, right? You want to be seen as valuable, as worthy, as capable. Um, and, and I really believe that it's like the human connection that brings like the 
complex value to our lives. And it's inside these relationships that like we can, that our character is forged, that healing can happen and that we can start to think about building our futures. That said, you know, homelessness is a direct result of things that are so much bigger than the personal, right? I mean, homeless is just, it's completely irrational. And it's a result of like of systemic racism, the lack of living wage jobs. I just saw a study today that came out that said that in order to afford a two bedroom apartment in Portland, you would need to make $70,000 $70, or more. Mm-hmm. Although we have a very high, we have a higher minimum wage than anywhere. 15, that's $33 an hour. Our minimum wage is still $15 an hour. So we've got systemic racism, the lack of living wage jobs, the inadequate access to healthcare and behavioral healthcare, and then the lack of housing for millions of individuals and families who live on fixed incomes or don't, or who have like, you know, who have steady jobs who are employed full time and cannot afford to, to live. Like we, you know, we, we as a community, as a society, as a federal government back in the eighties started like disinvesting in affordable housing. And that's just continued to decrease for the last several, for the last several decades. And so I think that like, that is like, that's like really important and always sort of at play, which is like, hey, I want you to have this beautiful, meaningful life. And you're, you're working in the confines of all of these structural barriers and oppression that are on purpose, right? They're built in on purpose. We could just as easily choose as a, as a society to live in a place where everybody could thrive, right? And we're making these conscious decisions every day not to. So, you know, we, we become really addicted to this idea of individual responsibility. That is like the American way, like that we have, and we've become so addicted to individual responsibility that we've just accepted a fragmented healthcare, a super weak social safety net, uh, just a, a lack a horrible, I mean, education system. You know, I mean, that's just sort of like, deeply rooted like systemic racism, like we've just homophobia, the denial of housing as, as a basic human right, denial of food is a basic human right. Like we've kind of accepted that, right? We've got these like punitive criminal justice system, a broken education system, we have reckless leadership, insurmountable economic inequality. I don't even see how, I, economic justice feels so huge to and just so enormous and so far out of reach to me. We've got a chaotic foster care system, which is driving, you know, tons of young people into homelessness. So, I mean, so I'm not, I have to, we have to, yeah, it's like, those are really important to to know. And I think that reminding kids every damn day of the beauty of their existence is important. Mm -hmm. And that relationships are like the critical element for any of us to grow and to learn. And that ultimately, like authentic and collaborative relationships are, are the foundation for like real change to like, not just for like our lives to flourish, but for, for us to really live in truly healthy and strong communities. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's kind of both. And it's like, we try to sit, we try to do the work around equity and justice in in real system change in our small ways, while also knowing that like our greatest, pair's greatest 
asset is create is the creation of such a strong community. Mm. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> Don't you dare apologize for that, Beth. You just articulated. I, you know, I think that youth homelessness is like a tragedy and it isn't a person. It's not just a personal tragedy, because of course, but it is a tragedy for our whole community. It is a tragedy for all of the communities that we're living in. And that mm -hmm. it's so deeply important to me that people understand that it is not a choice and that it's the result, the result of years of systemic and, you know, combative corruption of our systems. And ultimately, if you want to go there, of our souls, right? Or of yeah. our being, it's like. Mm -hmm. so anyway but most days are really joyous and <laughs> sort of a cacophony of of energy in this space that that helps us all rise above some of that at mm -hmm. least momentarily mm -hmm. yeah well i want to kind of yell at you again for saying sorry because that was uh that was so eloquently articulated about all the the different ways the different things that are colliding that contribute to someone ending up in the position where they would need to go to pair in the first place. And I'm, I'm deeply touched by all of the, the things that you shared there. And yeah, I think there's, there are lots of ways in which I, if we circle back to the way that America is just rug, the rugged individualism in America, there's a way that I, it seems like we've been enculturated into a society where it's looked at as some sort of moral or character flaw that someone ends up being homeless, that they just need to work harder or something like that. And it's just, that's such a bullshit cop-out answer. It's that that's an unwillingness to look at all of these systems that you beautifully named are created by us. And while it might feel overwhelming, we have we created the systems, we can also change the systems. There, I do yearn for a world which is, is more just and more equitable, like you are saying. And putting, putting that aside for now, the question that I'm in touch with right now is that you've named that when, when someone walks in, when a youth walks in, there's an honoring of, I guess, the beauty of their essence. Might, I don't know if that's the exact word that you yeah. that used. Yeah. I, I said existence, but I like essence a lot. The beauty too. of their essence, existence. Yeah, I like I like them both, and I'm wondering what that might look like. I know it depends on the person, but like how I think the welcoming is probably one of the most important parts before they start going into the education and the arts and the recreation. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that idea of like I. I'm, I'm not here to help you. Like I am not like people come in. I'm like, well, good morning. How can I help you? You know, it's like, you know, Hey Peter, how's it going? Like, how did that thing go yesterday? Or like cool sweatshirt. I mean, anything to create like a human connection that like, I actually see you. I see you physically. That's really important to me. I always will say like cool shoes or man, your eyes really dance. You know, we still wear masks in here. And so it's like, you know, I, I do a lot of like, eyes like you're you know your eyes are just really happy today or like whatever you know whatever mm. it is or like you know or hey i don't know you because i'm stuck up at my computer doing all of the like backbone work of running a nonprofit, which are you know flawed in many ways and and so you know i think it's like you know here's some there's you know there's food just out all the time it's just out all day long and it rotates and it's being cooked on site and the the kind of center 
of the whole program is is a kitchen and so you can't help but kind of and the door sort of you come in and you're just sort of like that's where your eyes kind of go is like straight to this big beautiful kind of buffet of food that people are like constantly like churning out from the kitchen and yeah and I and I so I think that it's like I think for me the most important initial thing is like hey I see you today like I see you this is like that period you know and then from there we can move into and you know again it depends on the depth of the relationship I mean I have kids walk in the door right now to say hi that I that are now in their early 40s that I met in the late 90s you know and Mm -hmm. um you know, all the way to kids who are just like, they've been homeless for a day and are really like, just really looking for like some sort of connection and some sort of like grounding from like the tailspin that is homelessness. Right. It's just, a, it's just, it's just such a drain. It can be it's such a suck of life force. It's, it's brutal and it's extremely isolating and alienating. And I think we try to break that down every day, every day, just every day. It's like, you are not alone in this. You are not alone in this. Like we're, that we're here. The model's challenging, right? It doesn't, it doesn't do well with turnover, Mm -hmm. right? I've been here 20 years. I've been in downtown Portland for 25 years working with homeless youth. Like there's, um, that's, that's the part that's a little tricky when you build kind of a very heavy relationship based program. So we sort of like accent that with just stuff happening all the time. So like t- tomorrow night, like we go, we have tickets to all the dance plays, ballets, theater in town. We go to tons of events in the community. We have art shows in the community that we host in other people's galleries. We go out for dinner sometimes, you know, like we go to yesterday, they went and did some sound healing work at a mm. sauna up the streets. Like we just, you know, we'll go to the movies. We'll, you know, whatever it is, like, and then that's like, that's kind of like getting out and into the community kind of work. And then on site, there's just always workshops happening. And we're really excited by during the, during the kind of dark parts of the pandemic, we started a BIPOC artist in residence program where folks come in and they teach their crafts, whether it's from like electronic music recording to uh, we've had weaving to pottery to painting to drawing. And that's been really fun and has expanded our community and has brought a lot of like really cool opportunities into the space. And we're now mimicking that program with the BIPOC artist and chef program. So where a chef will come in for a month and is in charge of the kitchen and just cooks their, what they love. So we are going to see some really good food come out of here. Yeah. So I'm very excited. Um, anyway, so it's sort of like, there's always kind of stuff to attach to. There's some really regular programming. We go out to the community and we skate as part of, a, um, an addiction recovery service. We, we always have a rec event happening. So we're either cross this winter, we'll cross country ski. We climb indoors and outdoors. We snowshoe, we hike. I've climbed a couple of volcano peaks with kids. We whitewater raft, we camp. Um, just like getting kids into nature, getting them outside. Yeah, I love the word play that you used earlier. It's like, you know, we just, it's, we are not a society that tells people who are experiencing homelessness and, and deep poverty, like, hey, like play is a really important part of your life. Like we mm-hmm. focus so much on just like meeting the external needs. Like I, I can tell you, I have a lot of young people who do end up in, in housing and it doesn't mean that they suddenly have these like deep, like connected 
flourishing communities and, and lives, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, um, it takes a long time to recover from the trauma of homelessness. And, mm-hmm. um, so we just try to be there for the long haul. And, uh, yeah, I've been to a lot of college graduations and a lot of really sad funerals. Mm-hmm. It's just being in, as part of being in community with people and being in real community right not being in a social service community but like one that like is is genuinely supported and showing up and uh, yeah it seems like a there's a projection that we make in in both directions that we think that if it's it's another american thing where we think you know having a, a giant house and have amassing a fortune and having lots of externals is going to be the thing that provides you the life of security and, and belonging and freedom and all, all the things that we project onto it. And I think, and I, I'm certainly conditioned that way. It's kind of just the water that we swim in, but with that conditioning, we think, well, if we, the way to, to meet someone who is experiencing homelessness is to then throw all those things at them too. And then it's not solving for, I'm appreciating in this moment the way that you are are truly honoring the human and what actually helps humans flourish. I, I think that belonging has been mentioned and there's also, I guess, what are some of the other core tenets that you'd say of pair? I think love, love and trust are probably two really big ones. Huge. And and I want to first acknowledge that like, listen, like housing is a way to end homelessness and it's a phenomenally important one. And I just like all of my friends who are in in the in the work of building affordable housing and securing funds for housing and getting people into housing and helping people retain their housing like that is just incredibly hard and deeply important work like they're like housing is a way for us to end homelessness like we need more housing across this country from rural small rural communities to large and on the west coast here one thing and other places is that like we also have to start preparing for the homelessness created by climate by the climate crisis and climate change and we're seeing it right now with the wildfires that are that are you know taking small towns out and are running through places and people are losing their physical housing like they're losing their housing and becoming homelessness to homeless due to climate change and so i think that like those are all like really important and that i i try to advocate and work on as work on as many different levels as i can that said there is also, I think, this other piece, this piece that pair fills that is so important too, because it's I'm really interested in like the development of the inner richness of people's lives. I want people to have rich inner and outer lives, right? And so yeah, I think hope is a is a tenant. I think creativity is a big tenant. I think that like I think we we actually talked about this a lot as a staff and we were talking about like, what, like, what are, what, what are some words that just describe our values? Right. And I think it was trustworthiness and authenticity and vulnerability. And, um, you know, one thing that's really important to me is the, is the capacity to model like taking responsibility and ownership for my actions. And especially when I fail to, to live by the standards that I want to, you know, I, I have this story. I, it will forever, I will forever be ingrained so deeply in me. And obviously, I have thousands of stories from 
from this from being in community with folks down here but there was a young woman and i just was like i don't even know what was going on for me and i was just like such an asshole and i went home and i was like oh my god like i was sort of like really bothered by the way in which i responded and reacted to this this young woman and so the next day i come out and i'm like hey gene can we like talk outside like i love to just have a conversation with you so we go outside and i start to go into this whole like kind of and I'm, I'm a little awkward and i start to go into this sort of like and i ramble a lot and i'm really fast i'm kind of like a hummingbird and like i just sort of like i flit around but i never land on anything like i'm annoying as hell and so and i know this about myself and i'm like trying to be more grounded and trying to give people space anyway so I, i'm outside and i'm like trying to like be like open and big and i'm like hey, I'm, i am so sorry for the way I acted yesterday, and she starts crying, like sobbing. I'm like, holy fuck! Like I was not that bad. Like I, like I'm like, it wasn't really that big of a deal. And and so she's like, I'm like I really harmed this person. And I was like, I and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not crying because of what happened. I'm crying because no adult has ever apologized to me. An adult who caused so much harm in my life. And um, and I just feel like that is just how important that is like something that that's simple it's seemingly simple right i um is so can model something so huge for for young people and and so i think taking like ownership and responsibility for actions and, and learning like what self-growth looks like like i don't come here to change people's lives i mean i come here because i want to be a better human being in the world like i want to i use pair as a place to challenge myself to grow and learn and break down some of my like sort of robotic mechanical behaviors you know just like how i move through the world and and really don't want i don't want that you know i want to be somebody who's uh, more whole and and i'm interested in my own inner richness and, and the, like all of the intrinsic development and strengths that, that i want to be as a parent and a and a partner and a friend and a daughter and all a sister and all of those roles i play in my life and, and a, essentially a teacher and mentor and so uh yeah that was a long answer to your question but here we are another beautiful one nonetheless it was yeah thank you for sharing that story and and for modeling the ownership and responsibility and for the the powerful reminder that in in my own life and anyone who's listening, I'm sure we can all relate to this. That some just the, the simple act of apologizing when you wrong somebody can go a really long way. And and I I think on the opposite end, if, if you really appreciate someone, don't take that for granted. If you just name that you appreciate them, those words really make an impact. They they really can. I I'm curious how you. You've been doing this for a little bit of time now, and, and you've named that long your bit. own a long bit of time. You've named that your own kind of inner landscape, your own development has been your own wholeness is something that you are paying attention to. And in your 25 years of working in this field, there's probably so many ways you can answer this. But what have been some of the ways that you have experienced the biggest evolution or uh, sense of development in your own life? Absolutely. I appreciate that. I, I, again, I can tell through, I, I used through a story the other day I was on the phone with a, a, one of the, my first board of directors in like, you know, 2002 and she was on her board and has become a longtime friend and donor and just 
for me, a mentor and just something, but most importantly, just someone I really deeply love and care about. And we were on the phone and I was like, oh my gosh, I really fucked this up. Like I, you know, I'm kind of like, these are all the ways in which I'm failing right now. And, and, but I was telling her a story I'd met, like a local, the, the a woman running for our um, county chair position and just kind of how disastrous it went and sort of like, and, and I was just telling this funny story and I was laughing and she's like, you know, what a difference 20 years makes. Cause they, when you, when I first met you, you could, you could never have like laughed at not being perfect in this role. Like, you know, and it's like, you're just, it's like such a beautiful evolution for me to like really accept kind of my own messiness and my own, um, just it, despite what I told you about being taught that at a really young age, I was taught it. It doesn't mean I embodied it. My mm-hmm. family has, but I was, like I said, a very, yeah, I was a very competitive, or like you would see me in people like this. And people would always ask, like, what's wrong? I'm like, there's nothing wrong. Like, Why do you have a scowl? I'm like, what scowl? Like, this is, you know, anyway. So, and, but I thought, like, oh, that is one thing that, like, has been, I've, I've done it. Like, I, you know, I was telling my mom that story. I'm like, hey, like, I have finally made it <laughs> and at 50. Like, I, I can finally do this thing. I, I feel like I have a better capacity for self-reflection and for understanding kind of the motivation behind my own behaviors. And that's really important to me. Cause I, like I said, I think that we've all like, I want to catch myself when my mechanical drive is on when I'm like either being a bully or manipulating a situation to get what I want or not being open and genuine or like whatever those things are. And like, Every day I, who like, it's, it's pretty rare. I think for people to say, well, I come to work every day to like experience, like practicing these things, they, these like, in like these, like practicing being more vulnerable or in practice, like being more open and practice, like being a better listener. That is hard for me. I just want, and I'm always like, oh my gosh, you're still talking. Like, can you email, like, just text me one word, like one word. <laughs> I coach basketball and oh anyway it doesn't even matter i coach youth basketball and i am trying to bring a lot of my skills that i am learning at pair onto the basketball court with my fourth grade boys but um i'm not doing a great job i do a lot of apologizing but um yeah i think uh also understanding like what happens for me when i get like dysregulated like how am i like what happens when i'm experiencing you know, either the effects of secondary and precarious trauma or vicarious trauma or precarious too, but, um, or, uh, you know, like how am I, like what's happening when I adrenalize like all of these things, like I think I've gotten better at it. It doesn't mean I've gotten, because I've gotten better at self-reflection doesn't mean I've gotten better at like the actual acting of it, but it's a step. Um, I think I, I can see this with like, I'm so glad that I had kids sort of later. I didn't have, I, I was like 40 when I had my first child. And I think, I think for me, that was ended up to be a really great gift because it gave me a lot of time to sort of to, to get more comfortable with myself. You know, it allows me to be a parent in a place where I have a lot of like, feel pretty good in my skin. I feel like I feel good about who I am in a way and, and can, guy hopefully be a good guide for for my for my kids around like what it means to be human and fallible and courageous and maybe sometimes all at once you know 
I get a little better sense of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. The knowing and the embodying piece has been uh, a huge part of my development as well. I, I sometimes wish it were as easy as just knowing and learning the thing. And I appreciate the way that it actually circled back to what you were describing as as the lesson, the, the primary lesson from your mom, not to take life and, and yourself too seriously. And and also that it's it seems like it's gonna be, it's this ongoing, we learn it over and over and over again in so many different ways, right? I mean, that's part of the fallibility that you're uh, speaking of here. And hmm, where would I like to go next? I think there's a couple of dots I'm wanting to connect with Pear before we move to the back end of the conversation. I'm wondering if you could use, I, I've been loving the stories that you've been using to illustrate different lessons that you've learned or values of pair. And could you maybe speak a little bit to uh, specific, you know, if, if someone's doing participating in arts and music umbrella of pair, like what, is, what does that look like for them? Oh yeah. I mean, it can look as simple as we just have a, a, an enormous wall of art supplies and like and not like crayons I mean like actually really beautiful drawing pencils and pens and all kinds of different all kinds of different paper colors and weights and sizes um and then like fun things like glitter and glue and beads and you know I mean and so there's just like you a kind of choose your own adventure a part of it as well like you just come and do what you want but for the most part, there's always different workshops going on. So you can jump into a, a pro in, a pro design. What's that? I know it's not called InDesign anymore. It's sort of like Procreate. Like you could jump into a Procreate workshop and how to like start to make digital work. And we have photography every, what they say, Wednesday. So yesterday, um, you could participate in that. You can, the music room is isolated and alone. So, and it's full of everything from drum kits and pianos and organs and electric guitars and acoustic instruments and shakers and whatever you want string instruments and and so you can come in and just play that or you can participate in our music program which is ever evolving and and that looks like doing some digital recording and making your own beats to just jamming having a jam session to learning how to play an instrument if that's what you want to pursue so it's sort of like uh something for everyone if they want to jump in you can be just sort of alone and draw and color and do whatever you want or and all the way up to participating in large-scale mural on a wall outside or uh gosh we've done all kinds of really neat stuff like studios came in and we started doing some like stop animation stuff not even clay like they use wire and stuff and clearly i am not an artist because stuff is not at all an eloquent word for what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, or you can even do things like participate in writing workshops or poetry workshops or, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's both responsive, like who shows up and is like, Hey, I want to teach this thing. And also like, Hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we found an artist who can teach photography? We've done a lot of, like I said, a lot of photography, both digital. And we also right now are doing a lot of film photography. So dark room, development kind of film and um, which has been really fun for the kids um, and uh, we've designed everything from our a set of skateboards that we sell at the local skate shop to t-shirts to and we have a lot of we do a lot of print 
making silk screening. Yeah, there's just all over the place. Um, Portland's a really creative place full of incredible artists and, and also artists who are really generous with their time and uh, want to be in relationship with young people and want to support their growth as artists and really seeing it as like a viable way to, to move through the world. And yeah, one thing I'd like to do, oh, oh, the other piece is we, this is funny because I'm sitting kind of above it, but um, we have an art gallery on site and we've been a part of the first Thursday art walks for 20 years now, well, 17, 18, whenever the pandemic started and, and things shut down pretty hard here. I mean, we had some of the most restrictive kind of pandemic stuff in place um, or we did and so it hasn't been, our gallery hasn't been open to the public since 2019 and we're planning on our first show in early spring um youth so youth show their work alongside a local guest artist sometimes it'll be hope the goal is it'll be like either the BIPOC artist in residence who's already been here and has created a body of work with the kids or just somebody in the community who's would like to show their work. We go 50-50 with guest artists on the sale of their work, and then you keep 90% of the proceeds and sell their work. Mm. We sell a lot of youth art. We've had some incredibly talented people come through here, and also just some like really sweet stuff. One of my favorite piece, all-time pieces is he had this kid. He was pretty gruff, and he was very uh, street entrenched. He was very, very, street culture was a very big part of his life, and he was like muscular, like had a lot of muscles, and was kind of like, a little bit, a little bit intimidating for sure. And had never hit all of a sudden, he's like, I'd like to like do some art. And so he chooses, he decides he's going to paint and we're all kind of like, okay, you know, and I'm thinking it's going to be like, you know, something super intense and whatnot. And it is this like little cherry tree with a swing in it. And this little person like swinging in this like super delicate cherry tree. And it was just another lesson of like, yeah, we never know what, is inside people like our exterior our exterior sort of like walls that we put up are all in you know ways to protect ourselves and art is such an incredible way to show to be to move beyond that mm -hmm. yeah yeah into like, appreciate yeah. you bringing that in yeah anyway so that was we've i i mean my if you come to my house most of my house is sort of a museum of some of the, unfortunately, I've taken, me and my coworkers have taken some of the best work that has come through here in the last 20 years. Some really great stuff. Mm -hmm. How many people work at Hair? Is it is it mostly employee-based or volunteer? It's definitely a combination, right? Employees and yeah. lots of volunteers. Yep. Our we're, there's nine of us right now. And we just hired our 10th employee to the rec program was put on hold also during the pandemic, being in the van together and all of that. So we have a new rec outdoor organist coordinator starting in January. So there'll be 10 of us. Mm -hmm. So we're pretty small. Mm -hmm. uh, we run two, one thing we haven't talked about that are really fun aspects, just programmatic aspects, mm -hmm. but we run two like social purpose enterprises. We have a small coffee shop on site. I've shown you since the viewers can't see it, but sort of like that with that beautiful window down there. Mm -hmm is mm -hmm. a walk-up, is our barista window, and then is a walk-up coffee shop. So youth employ it and help run it, and they're trained. They're trained to be really excellent baristas and in-house. And then, um, and that, so that's one little, like, small business. And then we also run a bike mechanic school. So we teach kids sort of the art and science of becoming 
um, not only baristas, but bike mechanics. And, um, and then we have a bike shop, um, what we refer to as East County. So on the east, east side of Portland, and the bike shop employs young people. We're sort of a no cost, low barrier bike shop for a community that really doesn't have a lot of access to, to bikes, but use cycling as a form of transportation um, in a lot of ways. So that's been a really fun project. And we do everything from like really high-end bikes. We make custom bikes that are branded as Bike Works. We usually call ourselves Bike Works by Pair, really beautiful. And yeah, and I, you know, I don't really care as much if kids become baristas or bike mechanics or whatnot. I think mm -hmm. it's like, one is, is this like, like learning a craft and and both can be so beautiful, both coffee and cycling. And we also talk a lot about sort of like the other, like where coffee comes from and what does sustainable coffee mean and how, you know, like kind of all of that. But it's also like so fun for the kids to be kind of experts and artisans yeah. something. And so whether they use it beyond just being, you know, our internship program is great. I mean, there's so many jobs in both bike and coffee that don't involve being baristas or bike mechanics, right? I mean, there's like everything from manufacturing to clothing to roasting in the coffee business to roasting to managing. I mean, there's just, you know, all of it. But those have been really fun projects and have so much potential and room for more and more growth and in, in more ways to, to for, in, for impact, really, both on the community within pair and the community outside of pair so but they're fun yeah and our awesome so if you're ever in portland please come by i will okay you know that i will uh well beth is there anything about pair or about your own personal journey that we haven't already spoken about that feels relevant for today that you'd want to invite into the conversation no i mean i really appreciate I just really appreciate you and how easy you've made this conversation mm. <laughs> for sure. And no, I mean, I think I would just encourage people to get involved in, in like really understanding, you know, not just the root causes of homelessness, but to find programs in their communities that are doing work that really resonates with them. And, you know, whether that's big system change all the way down to, just you know cooking a meal for a program that serves food and but really finding ways to engage i think are really important i mean homelessness is you know is obviously it's a crisis in many communities across the country and has been for a long time um i think the pandemic just really highlighted the how you know i think that the the it just really highlighted the kind of um how many people are on the margins and how really so many of us could have a foot kind of, you know, almost dangling off that cliff. And it gave us a real up close and personal look at, you know, the truths of what like we talked about of our broken culture and society and that this has existed long before the coronavirus showed up. But there was between that and the and the racial justice movement, I think really shed a, a spotlight on on the the systems and, and that are affecting people. And so I'd encourage folks to really get involved in, in ways that are, yeah, building stronger, more vibrant communities so that everybody in them can thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the ways, one of the simplest ways in, in this moment, if you're still listening right now to get involved is to just 
to donate to pair I'll, I'll link to that in in the show notes and i will certainly be uh, donating myself it's it's one of the reasons that i had you on beth is because i really believe strongly in in what you're creating there and yeah we could we could use more of this as a society so i just have a couple more questions for you they're more rapid fire in nature absolutely what's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy i think one of my Favorite things every day is just when the front door opens. Mm. That brings me a ton of joy at pair. I love that. I love like the gift of like being able to do that day in and day out. But I really think like the deepest joy for me is, is in being a parent. And mm. I don't, I come into work really early several days a week. And, but the mornings that I am home, I just think like when my babies come downstairs is like, one of my favorite things that just never gets old to see them in the morning and to mm-hmm. have that kind of such unconditional and untethered love. Mm. So important to me. Yeah. So Both fun. are very beautiful. Thank you for sharing. You mentioned that as a youngster, and I'm guessing it's still true today that you love to read. Do you have any, maybe two to three books maybe that, yeah, that come to mind for things that have shaped you the most or that you most enjoyed. I'm personally looking to it in uh, terms of taking life less seriously. I've been a nonfiction junkie and I'm, I'm looking for more fiction. So it doesn't have to be development books. It could be anything at all. Yes. I love anything. Jessamine Ward writes salvage the bones um one of my favorites sing unburied sing i think she's just remarkable those are, that's been some of my favorite but i am reading a book right now that i love and what's really funny about me is i never know the name <laughs> i i know what it is so i can look it up go for it i'm gonna wait one second is um oh yeah on earth we're briefly gorgeous and I'm about mm. halfway through that. And it is one of the most beautiful things I've read in such a long time. I don't know how to pronounce the author's name. He's, a, he's an American poet. Um, his name is Ocean Wong. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I've been, I was familiar a little bit with his poetry, but this book is just stunning. Absolutely stunning. And I loved, I also just finished The Sympathizer, mm. which I really loved. A lot. I also felt like there were moments that I reread paragraphs over and over because they were just lyrical and poetic and yeah, they danced. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so I would check those out. For sure. It's like definitely one of my faves recently. Um, cool. She's also written a couple of very beautiful essays. Um, her husband died at the beginning of the pandemic and it was right around that time. And uh, she wrote a just a stunning essay also about that about grief and so anyway but yeah i wish i had more time to read i'm working on that too and i'm working on like the you know putting aside a little bit of the of the nonfiction and um mm-hmm. yeah trying to go back to what i really love like just getting lost in mm-hmm. literature I've, I feel a strong appetite for that right now. I want to I wanna immerse myself in some imaginal world. So I, I appreciate you naming these books. I actually just, and I don't know how to pronounce his name either, yeah. o- Ocean Vuong, but 
Yeah. Uh, I just listened to him on a podcast that he did with Krista Tippett and he, mm. his spoken word is like poetry too. There's, it, it's kind of show stopping. It, it's when I heard his voice, there was something soothing about it for my nervous system, just naturally calming. And I imagine his writing would uh, have a similar effect. Yeah. Do it. It's short too. Like, and so you, yeah, you can, you can get through it quickly mm -hmm. and also to reread it. Cause I think I, this is definitely a book I'll reread. So it's just, I have two more questions for you yeah. and they're both kind of big ones. So you can take as much time as you want to answer them, but where do you feel most unfinished in your life? What, what would you say is like the area you're focusing most of your attention on? I, I appreciate that question because it's been kind of a big one recently. I am, I feel a real need to, I feel a need to, to start doing more of that, like kind of systemic large work. And I want to carve more time and find more time to sit at tables where that's happening. Mm. Um, and so there's things that I want to more deeply understand. I think that I have a tendency to every like to every couple of weeks be like, well, I'm going to go blow up the education system. All right. Like I want to be in charge of everything. It's just by like unfortunate part of my personality is and um, and the foster care system. And I want to go like tackle all of these. But I think that like through the work I do, I think I, I more deeply want to like dive into sort of housing and economic justice and and also in the way in which they relate to environmental justice because i think mm. that that's just critical and then you've got health justice food justice, all of that right so i, I want to sort of like find where i can affect the most change and sort of go for it and be with people who are doing that work that's one thing that feels sort of important the other piece that i have a lot of interest in interest in and have been starting to do more of the work is i'd really like to have a I have a very deep understanding of trauma and the way trauma interferes and plays out and, and drives people's lives and the way and their actions and behaviors and emotional lives and all of that. And, but I don't have any language for it. I just experience, I am just in it and around it for now 25 years. And I'd like to start to almost academically or intellectually put some language around it so that I can, do, I can both train people in some of the models that Perry uses while also having a way better understanding of like what it means to truly provide trauma-informed care. I think that we have a lot of folks say that, but like, what does that really mean to me and to the organization and to what youth have been telling us for the last 25 years? So mm. those are some interesting, and also a little side note, like I pair probably, I think that there's been a, I need to start contributing to some of our newsletters and stuff. You and I were talking about this before you hit the record button. I like to do a little, maybe a little bit more writing about just about pair and not in even hopes of publishing it, but like just sort of trusting my perspective and voice a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just like kind of little, little tweaks for you, right? Those are, those yeah. are the pretty small things there. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate that. Those are, those are huge things to be, it, when I asked that question, where are you unfinished? There, there's no right or wrong answer, of course, but those are, those are beautiful things to aspire to. And, and there are things that really matter to me too. So if you, yeah. if you find some, some meaningful answers, send them my way. Cause I'm, I'm interested. 
<laughs> yeah, always searching, right? I feel like I feel like that's even from a personal, real personal place answering that question is like, you know, I think that I don't I don't expect to to leave this earth finished, right? I think it's mm-hmm. just like my goal is to sort of continue to really be to always be sort of seeking and searching and 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 I hope to even more as I as I get older, I hope to even more lean into just wonder and curiosity and yeah, like like just the small like the small things mm-hmm. you know really mm-hmm. embracing the small things yeah well uh, the final question that i ask every interview beth is the podcast is called mike's search for meaning and i would love to know and in some ways you've answered this the, the duration of the entire interview but what does it mean to you to live a meaningful life hmm. i think the most important thing to me are is are are being in like healthy supportive relationships i think like them like for me like meaning is directly integrated in my community and the people that are in my life and the people that i love and the people that love me and that is like i just that's been a like a, that's been since i was young like i grew up in a very big irish catholic neighborhood and with a lot of support and a lot of people and that that loved me and I knew that I was loved and and that I knew that I was seen. And I think that though that's like really truly important to me. Um I also have a real uh deep need for adventure. <laughs> and I just like for like it is just like in you it's just in me to like want to to explore and travel and be in not even just in nature. I mean just every everything from big cities to just to, to being at the top of mountains like i just i love to adventure and i love to do that with with my family and that feels like yeah a part of me that just can't be like it can't be quelched mm-hmm. <laughs> so. right on well thank you beth thank you so much for taking the time to uh, be on my show for responding to the random human from the east coast who reached out to you and uh, and taking a chance on being here i i so appreciate what you're doing at pair it's the reason i reached out in the first place and uh, it's it's a privilege to be able to have this conversation with you to be able to support such a wonderful organization and to get to know more about you and and what informs the way that you see the world. So uh, I so appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you reaching out and and asking such thoughtful questions and being so open and for supporting pair like that's that's huge. And also like really just giving me the gift of being able to talk about pair and um, I really appreciate that. Mm. I think, yeah, it always I will leave yeah, but I will leave having questions for myself and also, yeah, just, uh, uh, you know, I think um, it always helps me to like have the space and time to reflect on pair and on my work and on myself. And just, it's, I don't get that time a lot. And that's just, that was a, that was something that you brought into my world today. And I really mm. appreciate that. And I look yeah. forward to meeting you someday. You should come west. You're so welcome. And I look forward to meeting you someday, too. I would love to come west. I would love to get to Oregon and uh, to Portland in particular and to all of the listeners. uh, Well, I implore you to also donate. I've already named this, but 
Uh, before I do my sign off, I, I implore you to donate to PAIR or in any way that you can support. If you're on the West Coast, then maybe even personally volunteer. And uh, whenever you're listening, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day or evening and take good care. Lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.